1: Welcome into another episode of the Sick Podcast with Draft Vogel, the sickest NFL draft podcast on the planet. I'm John Vogel, your host. Joining me shortly, my co-host, Justin Gamble. We have on our mind today defensive ends. Okay, So we're going to clarify what we mean by defensive ends. A defensive line is something that's evolved over the last few years something that has a lot of there's a lot of different ways that you play it a lot of different roles that are on the defensive line we're going to focus on one of those today so with that being said shane in the studio doing a great job as always shane let's get to it
0: turn, turn up your volume
1: because you're about to listen to
0: the sick podcast Bog- with draft vogel
1: with the first pick in the 2021 NFL draft the first pick in the 2022 NFL draft with the first pick in the 2023 NFL draft the sickest NFL draft show it's going to be sick 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 welcome in yet again woo okay sorry just had to bust your drums cuz if you are not, if you are approached by the SICK podcast, this is a plug. This is uh, not scripted, by the way. If you are approached by the SICK network about doing a podcast, about doing a show, just go do it. It's so much fun. Joining us now is Justin Gamble, the co-host. Justin, how are we doing today?
0: I'm doing great, buddy. I'm happy to talk about football again. It's been a bit for us.
1: It has, it has. Yeah, uh, I had I took last week off completely. My best friend, uh, we I've known him more than half my life, was in an ATV wreck, and he's doing much better now. He uh, miraculously survived uh, hitting a tree straight on, head on. So, uh, got out of there with all the minimal injuries. All things considered, so got actually they sent him home straight from the ICU, which was amazing. Honestly, wow. like he was only there Saturday night. Sunday, Monday, he left Tuesday afternoon. So all things considered, uh, somehow did not fly straight into a tree. Uh, It was pretty awesome to see him make a quick recovery. And I got him back home and helped him settle in and then bolted. So then got back to work. So uh, also, I didn't get to watch a lot of college football this week, Justin. So hopefully you did. Uh, I was reporting with the National Guard. And uh, it was a couple long days for us when not so much no, not, not a lot of time to watch tape I did catch the Texas-Alabama game. That was a lot of fun. And then the late-night Auburn yeah, and cool. Cal game. But uh, And I've been catching up ever since on the tape. So defensive ends is what we're kind of thinking. Um, let's talk about... Let's start out by specifying exactly what we mean by defensive end. Uh, because there are a couple of different ways that we can look at it. At the position. And it's hard sometimes I think because there's so many different ways you got, you know, we we've kind of combined edge rushers on the draft media side into one category when there's really like a few categories to that. And so when we're talking about yeah. defensive ends, I think we want to clarify what we're kind of discussing.
0: Well, I think we wanted to kind of do like hand in the dirt for three, <clears throat> um, like pure defensive ends, you know, as as we know them, but, like you said, and the lines are kind of blurring now. I think the NFL is messing with us too. I mean, we saw the other day Miles Garrett standing over the center doing crossovers before he, you know, goes a gap. So it's like there's really no pure like you're always in hand in the dirt. You're always hand in the dirt. You're always at the seven. You're always out wide. You know, it's 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 changing now. The NFL is changing and evolving, which is cool. But um, we are going to try and not put too much on our plates for this week, and we're going to try and stick with guys who primarily are pure hand in the dirt edge rushers did that in college Mm -hmm. um i mean we can talk about miles Garrett and stuff but guys that are that have always been outside linebackers or you know two-point stand-up guys in the nfl we're not going to try it we're going to try not to touch on them too much today but um so yeah so look fans tj watt we'll get to him we'll get to all the stand-up guys we'll get to von miller and all these other free you know all these other cool dudes that you want to hear their names we'll get to them just that'll be a next week thing
1: yeah, so when we talk about 4-3 defense ends, you know, we're really talking mostly about guys that are going to play primarily 5 tech. And so if you're if if you're not familiar with techs, I know when I first got started, I was not familiar with techs. Uh, techs are basically gaps on the on the line that that are described as a number. I believe Bear Bryant, the legendary Alabama coach is the one who came up with the system, and it's a little confusing. When you start getting to the higher numbers, because they start jumping around all over the place. But uh, typically, when we're talking about a five tech, we're talking about a guy that lines up to the outside of the tackle, uh, usually shoulder right his shoulders right on his head. Okay. When we're talking about a three tech, we're talking about that gap in between the center. I mean, the guard and the tackle. And when we're talking about a one tech. We're usually talking about. A gap right in between the center and the guard. Okay. So that's pretty simple there. When you start getting to the tight end, it's a little bit weird and we'll touch on that some other time, I think, but uh, that's the text that we're discussing. You know, the even numbers would be, so if you were to play like a four tech and you got four, I, that's another confusing aspect of it. we're not going to touch on that quite yet. Cause it's a little bit later down the road, but your four, your four tech is going to be right over. It's going to be head on head with the guard. And then your two tech is, Uh, no, excuse me. Your zero tech is head on with the center. Yeah. So (laughs) that's a lot. (laughs) It is. It is. It's a lot easier when you can see the diagram. I don't have a diagram planned to, to give Shane to pull up on here. We'll probably have that next week, but, um, no. So we're talking mostly about those guys that line up on the outside of the tackle and are going to try to pull off some sort of move, uh, to get around that tackle and get to the quarterback from the outside lined up. The other thing, too, that we that, that I want to specify before we get into this as well is 90% of the NFL right now, and that's probably a very conservative as guesstimate, um, is running a four-man front at all times. Uh, whether you've got a stand-up on one side or whether everybody's down, it doesn't matter. You've got a four-man front. We've actually seen the Eagles popularize. The, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles this year popularized the five-man front which has become something that a lot of people use five, two dog five, one on uh, all that kind of those different looks kind of getting your linebackers using an extra linebacker as a potential pass rusher and being able to mix up your blitz looks, but that's a whole nother aspect uh, of schematics. That's kind of kicked off. That's why you're seeing all this confusion because Hassan Reddick, you know, that's another guy we'll talk about probably next week because he's typically a guy that's standing up. Uh, so Starting this thing, we're talking about these guys that are down. If you want to talk, think about defensive ends, uh, a really good example we were given on Twitter, thanks to Justin, as posing a question. Uh, Everson Griffin is a really good example of a guy. Over the last couple of years, the Bosa brothers are really good examples. And Miles Garrett is another really great example of a guy, of the type of defensive end that we're kind of talking about. So uh, we took the liberty of sitting down before we got on the show. Thank God. We actually did a little bit of planning this time. And planned a few guys to talk about. Um, you wanted to start, I believe, Justin, with Taco Charlton as a player, as an example of a player who busted.
0: Yeah, we were going to talk about busts. We were going to talk about a few guys that busted and why they did, and a few guys that hit and maybe were late around picks or guys that, you know, went under the radar and became successful in the NFL. Um so, we wanted to talk about Claylin Farrell because he was the fourth overall pick in the 2019 NFL draft. <laughs> I believe he went He went before, he was picked before Brian Burns
1: mm-hmm.
0: and Rashawn Gary. Is that that yep. year? Yep, Gary's Gary. I think so. I think that okay. was that
1: year. I'll double check for you. Get our facts. So,
0: we're going to go into why, just, you know, touch a little bit on why these guys, a few of these guys, we got three names today, why they were overdrafted or why they busted. Um, Claylin Farrell, like we, I said fourth overall pick he played at clemson uh he was in brent venable's you know pressure heavy system very aggressive system um he got a lot of one-on-ones he was heavy-handed in college um and he had a lot of wins he racked up a lot of, st- of sacks his stat sheets look good so again he was taken fourth overall in front of some really really talented players in the nfl he uh i think he struggled to see playing time with oakland or las vegas now he is with the 49ers. And um, you know, it looks like he might carve out a role over there. But I think what's important to look back on is when you take a guy fourth overall in the NFL draft, Clayland Farrell, and you've pulled up all mm-hmm. his measurements and all that stuff, I'm sure. But first mm-hmm. thing that jumped out to me when I'm watching him in college is this guy is winning because he knows what he's doing, but not because he's an athlete. You know, not because he has an array of moves that he can beat people with. Um I think he was a little heavy footed. He was a little stiff. He wasn't a good bender. There wasn't a lot of athleticism that jumped off the tape. He didn't have burst. So, what we're saying is he didn't really have the traits that I think translate to the NFL. And when you look at edge rushers, one thing I always harp on is you got to bet on traits. You have to win with athletes. You can't just talk, you can't just draft these guys that were stat patterns in college, but can they sustain it in the NFL? And I, Clayland Farrell was a prime example, a guy that I thought maybe was day two, but I didn't really see anything better than a day three guy. And he went fourth overall. And so far, I mean, that's one of the biggest reaches in like edge rusher history, you know, from what I can remember.
1: Yeah, no, the first thing that popped at me, because that year I, I told you this, we were like planning this thing is, uh, it was a, I was in basic, so I went to basic training that year. And I left in, like, right after the All-Star Games, and I was graduating the day, day two of the draft. And so the day before you graduate, you get your family day, you get to go hang out with everybody. We went out, and I was, like, catching up on everything that had happened in, like, the previous two months, the combine and all that stuff, and... You know, there were guys that were going up that I was like, yeah, I really liked him. I'm not surprised. And guys that went down that I was like, what happened to that guy? And how did that guy get up there? Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Clellan was one of those. Yeah. And as I had to hand my phone back over before I had to go back into the barracks for the night, Cleland was the last pick that I saw before I had to give the phone over. And that was and that was my the end of my draft uh, coverage that night, I guess. I couldn't believe he'd been picked. I could not believe yeah. it. That high. But he was a guy that was a product of a really good system that Clemson ran. Right. So Clemson had Brent Venables as the defensive coordinator who really kind of evolutionized a lot of the defensive schemes that you see in college football today. And it's because he was he was able to get all these athletes, get them all on the same page, rotate guys right and find those perfect balances in the rotational mixes Yeah. and then show different blitz looks and drop coverages all over the place. If you look at what Brandon Staley did as a defensive coordinator for the Rams, before he became the head coach of the chargers, a lot of the stuff he was running with the Rams what Clemson had been running those previous years. And, you know, he gets a head coaching job and who knows if he sticks around after this year, probably not right now. We'll see what we see. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. But, <laughs> uh, to 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 kind of wrap up that point clellan was a was a product of a system that allowed him to get a lot of opportunities on lower tier players that he was just simply better and more athletic than because there was no doubt he was an athlete now he did not run a forty yard dash at the combine he was a, he ran a four four shuttle uh seven two six on the three cone which is meh and yeah. he was strong twenty five twenty five bench press reps got a decent broad it was an okay broad jump nine foot six uh he was yeah. doing this at six four and two hundred and sixty four pounds and so you were looking at a guy and you were betting that his motor and his athletic traits that you'd seen on the field he also oh, also sorry did not test his pro day due to a right turf toe uh that is legit <laughs> I was kind of yeah. surprised when I saw that but <laughs> But no, in the in the case of in the case of Farrell, I mean, he played at
0: Clemson, and he what did he he won a national championship? He played in two. He was always on the big stage, and he produced. And NFL teams have checklists, and he had size. He played, you know, he had this pedigree of a big stage guy, and he had stats at the highest level. And he checked a lot of boxes, I think, for NFL teams. But the most important box was, what kind of athlete are you? And I think he was an average athlete. But average doesn't get you fourth overall pick, and it doesn't get you, you know, an ass kicker in the NFL when you're facing elite offensive tackles all the time. So I think that was a big part of what happened with him and why he has not been super successful, you know, to this day.
1: Yeah, you just come out here shitting on my team. It's okay. I know. I'm sorry, buddy. But (laughs) but no, 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 no. no. Uh, Yeah, and the other thing, too, I think that you got to look at with that specific example is you had the head coach at the time is John Gruden. And the general manager is Mike Mayock that make that pick. <laughs> and I think if you look at their draft classes and the team that they were building in general, it was a little bit outdated in the sense of they were sort of behind the A ball with where the league was sort of developing toward. They had a really tough physical team. They made some good picks. Obviously, they took Miles uh, uh, Max Crosby, who blossomed into... Yeah. Arguably, you could make a case that Max is like the best pass rusher in the league with he's just insanely athletic but um yeah. that's that was it that was a a team that was just kind of behind the a ball in general when it came to the way that they were constructing their roster so i think that that probably says a little I bit i think about they were
0: they were building an early 2000s team and didn't realize like yeah. we've moved on from that and you got to get some freaks out there. we
1: are way yeah. past that way past that yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah no Another guy that you wanted to talk about was, and I, I think I started off with this and we got sidetracked because Cleland Farrell is such a bigger bust, but it was Tucker yeah. Charlton. Uh defensive end out of Michigan that came in at 6'5, 277 pounds. He was uh, actually closer to 5'6 at 5'8, ran a 49140 at the combine, followed it up with a 486 at his pro day. Uh, 25 also 25 bench rest, bench press reps. 33-inch vertical jump, 9'7", broad jump, and a four eight seven three 3 cone, which is pretty damn atrocious. Was he drafted ahead of TJ Watt? Was, was he before TJ Watt that year? Because that was the
0: 2017 draft. Um, and I believe he – because he, he came out of Michigan. He was a first-round pick. I think he was taken ahead of TJ Watt. And I'll be honest, I, was, I missed on Taco Charlton and TJ Watt. TJ Watt was kind of used weird at Wisconsin, and they didn't really let him just go. A lot. It was a lot of – you had to kind of search for his good reps and search for the times they just let him free off the leash. Um, Taco Charlton had size. He had insane length. He had heavy hands. He had the perfect body for a defensive end. Uh, My main concern with him at Michigan was he's just not that good of a football player. And I should have listened to my instincts because he (laughs) uh, came to the NFL and nothing changed. He wasn't that good of a football player. And he is a guy who I think is kind of the opposite of Clayton Farrell He busts because he's just not that good, but he has all these traits and you think like, okay, if he can become the sum of his parts, you know, this is a big time edge rusher. But I think it's one of those things where you kind of have to listen to yourself when you're evaluating these players and you have to trust your instincts. And I've been guilty of not doing it a lot. And we've talked about it a lot where you've talked to me, you know, you said like, why would you say like, why, why what are you doing on this guy? And I'm like, yeah, just, there's something about him. (laughs) That I'd like, but you have, you know, your gut feeling is usually the you know, the first gut feeling you have is usually right. And um, I bet on his traits personally. And, it, you know, it came back to bite me because he is not that good. I don't even I think he's well, a free agent now.
1: Maybe. Or he's uh, with Miami or something.
0: I don't know. Yeah, I, I know, you know, he's so he start. was
1: he was uh, he is a free agent. He's not with the team currently. Uh, last year he played with Chicago. He played in five games. Now, the big thing about him when you say that the guy's not good he's not good at, he's not a good football player, and yes, he was drafted for t j watt by the way two picks before t j watt um the the thing is oh, what you're saying is he doesn't have a lot of the what's the word i'm looking for he doesn't have moves he doesn't have anything that he does really you know like that he's developed to get off of a block or to beat some guy, and when you see a guy like that. What you're trying to do is you're trying to bet on the traits, and when you see when you saw the traits and the production that he had at Michigan, I think he was fairly productive at Michigan. I'm double checking, pulling those up his college yeah. stats. Um, yeah, ten sacks is his senior year. You know, yeah, In but he didn't games. use his it's length well. He,
0: yeah, but he didn't use his length well. He wasn't consistently powerful. His effort levels were hit or miss um there just wasn't a lot of nuance to his game you know the traits were there the nuance wasn't and mm-hmm. i think you project a player like that to be good or be something he's not and you know that's where you go wrong
1: that's what and this, this was a this is a big question that i had talking with scouts and stuff this past year you know because you look at guys like this that are trait that have the traits they have the god-given ability the length and just you're like I want I want this guy to be good so bad because he has all this. He's prototype. And you know so like my big question I guess with a lot of scouts this year was how hard or how easy is it to teach a guy how to use his hands, how to how to create pass rush moves, how to, you know, build into something and and become that type of player. And what I've kind of found talking to people is it's very difficult to teach guys how to do this. So that's that's p- kind of part of the bet when you're taking an edge rusher that's got the length, he's got the size, he's got everything he's, you know, check in the box, production in college, mm. big big ten production, you know, and, and you, you, you knock all those things off, but it's really hard to teach these guys how to develop a pass rushing um reservoir, I guess you could say, you know, like a pro like a profile with a bunch of different moves, a bunch of different ways. People forget that when you're playing defensive end, Justin you are playing chess with that offensive tackle. You are engaged yeah. fully into a chess match with them because your constant chess is not a game about, hey, let's rush in here, be aggressive, and let's see if we can't take over the line, blah, 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 and, and go get that king. No, 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 that's not what it is. Chess is very much a game yeah. where you have to set people up, make them move where you want them to go. Being a pass rusher is very much of the same art, you know, where you have you have to set the guy up. You have to get the guy to move where you want him if you're going to beat him. And when you don't yep. have that variety of moves, when you don't have that way that you can set up people and you're not understanding that it's not clicking up here, that's a problem in your projection. And so I think with taco and even Clullen, cause Clullen didn't really have an arsenal either of moves that he could pull. No. He was mostly strictly a bull rusher who was just able to get a faster step sometimes and work around a guy that didn't know how to use his hands. And when you get yourself into those types of, when you've got your, that kind of a player, it's very difficult to teach them how to do stuff. It's very difficult to teach them the whole mental aspect of playing defensive end. I think that's where those two guys right. kind of fall into that category.
0: And I think playing defensive end or edge rusher too, you have to be okay failing a lot because you have to learn what works and what your body is capable of. And, you know, like Vaughn Miller, I think he's talked about, he would start a, a football game or he would start a game and he would, Bull rush the offensive tackle, you know, two or three times, purposely knowing he's not going to go through him, and he'll lose a few reps. And now the you know the offensive tackle might short set him on the next one, ready for that bull rush. And Vaughn takes off and heads up field, or he might start with speed three or four times, so the guy takes real deep kick, you know, kick step, and now he goes you know up and under, and he counters inside. But that's the thing is you you're almost a computer. You're learning the algorithm of right, I I can lose this way, I can lose this way, but now. I can, you know, throw my counterpunch because this the opponent thinks I'm gonna do this. There's just yeah, Taco had no nuance to his game and um Clayland just didn't have the traits for it. So we got two busts yeah, on our hands and that's
1: perfect what you just described too, where you've got you know, I had this discussion, you know, this talk with uh Tommy out of Barway at the senior bowl this year, you know, where, when I was like, Hey, so when you are going up into, you know, a pass rush rep, what's your plan? And he said it's to win. I said that's great but how he goes by any means necessary i was like look i love the attitude and i use that chess example i said you got to set this motherfucker up that's your job that's what you got to do you know like seriously i said you you've got the speed and the length because he's he was six he wasn't quite six two but he had these 35 inch arms i'm like you got the length and the speed. Where you can go speed rush speed rush speed rush push him to the outside get that guy to start worrying going hey he's going to beat me to the outside i got to take this step back i got to get back there faster and as soon as he tries to beat you to that edge you've got the quickness to inside count swipe counter you're in mm-hmm. you know and and that was i run into him at the combine too you know and i, I said and he right he remembered he was like so what you've been working on he goes my, my moves i'm playing chess <laughs> you know you know so like he remembered yeah. he took that in it was cool but that's the thing is like yeah. some guys just don't understand that you know where they, they don't get that aspect of it they want to win every single rep and they're going to try all these different things and you know uh when well, you got and, guys that are kind and of I lazy bull rushers
0: yeah but i think there are some guys who can win every rep just doing whatever they want you know like nick max Bosa has a power and leverage yeah max crosby Pretty much does anything he wants wins. Nick Bosa can win any single rep, it feels like, on power and leverage. The way he gets under guys and forklifts them, unbelievable. Matt, uh, Micah Parsons, if you really watch him rep for rep, I still don't think he has a plan. He just, you know, it's like in the huddle, he just doesn't hit a crack, and he's like, dude, I'm. he's just cranked out, and as soon as they snap the ball, what he just flies, and whatever happens, happens, but he is such a freaking athlete, so strong. So powerful, so fat, it doesn't matter. And he wins. You know who is, you know, uh, who's a lot Garrett? like that
1: too? Who's a no. lot like Micah was Lawrence Taylor. If you go watch Lawrence Taylor, he was like that too, where he just didn't yeah. have a plan and he was just like, I'm going where you're not and you can't he beat doesn't me. Doesn't matter. Doesn't mm-hmm.
0: matter. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Reggie White, uh, we got to, you know, we'll talk about Reggie White in a little bit because we got uh, a buddy of mine, David Saba, on Twitter, asked a question about Reggie White and wanted us to talk about him a little bit. But another guy who, at six five two ninety, ran four sixes, could do anything he wanted. It felt like he was an absolute monster among, you know, children out there. Just the hump move that he made mm-hmm. so famous. Um, Any And he won with power anytime he wanted. And there's nothing anyone could do about it. So it's rare, but there are a few guys that can do it. And those are the elites. Those are the elite of the elite edge rushers. But a lot of these guys need plans. They need to add nuance. They need, you know, things about their game that kind of – Compliment the other parts that they're lacking or that they can build upon. So,
1: yeah, look, the Bosa brothers, um, Garrett, Miles Garrett, Max Crosby. (laughs) Look, most, you know, 99.9999% of humans cannot do what they can do, you know. So, yeah, obviously, you want those guys, you want guys that can do that kind of stuff. But if you can't, that's where the next level of greatness comes in, I think, is what can you do when you're not one of those guys. Now you did want to talk about a tweener and that's going to give us another bust here. DeMarcus Walker from a few years ago yeah. was a guy that people yeah. absolutely loved on the media side, went high in the draft. What was it about? Second round. Yeah. Yep. What was it about DeMarcus when you scouted him? Uh,
0: he had a lot of highlight plays at Florida state and uh, they used him kind of up and down the line, but I forget what he weighed at the combine. He, he, he he could have played edge rusher with his weight and height. Um, I think it was what 6'4, 6'3, 270 or something, 275. Yeah, it was about something that. like that. I'm trying to remember. Oh. Okay. And uh, he had insane burst off the ball. Insane burst off the ball. And like I said, he when they put him at three tech or um, any time on the interior, his reps were the ones where you know immediately they snap the ball and he's upfield beating somebody. Wins a gap, shoots upfield. But where he struggled in college was on the edge. And I think he was a little bit of a straight line player. He was pretty linear in his movements. He didn't really have the ability to, you know, his ankle flexion wasn't great. He didn't really have the ability to dip and bend. And when he was on the edge, he kind of looked lost like a little fish out of water. But then he gets taken in the second round, goes to the NFL and you think, you know, he's going to put it together. The kid's an athlete. There's just so much to work with. He's heavy handed, but, To this day, I don't think he – I think he's a free agent right now. and No, he's with the Bears. He's with the Bears, I just remembered. But he has not figured out a way to stick on an NFL roster. And it's another one of these guys where he was kind of a jack-of-all-trades, master of none, and what he was best suited for was rushing from the interior, but then he gets to the NFL, and he's simply too light for it. And he wasn't really a lateral athlete that could win against NFL-level guards but when you take a guy in the second round and he has a big time resume coming from Florida State you expect him to be a starter for you or at least be uh mm-hmm. you know a pretty disruptive sub package rusher and he never figured that out and um i think he was another miss of mine because i thought you know if he goes in the late first round you're getting a steal because i think the way this kid can get off the ball and use his length sometimes sometimes is great but a lot like Taco Charlton i don't think he ever became the sum of his parts and um he's another one where you bet on those traits and i think they burned you but um, so yeah, now, you know, sixteen at least he's, sacks. At least he's in the NFL.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, sixteen sacks. His <laughs> uh, his senior year at Florida State was insanely productive. Now, granted, I've learned watching you know going through the different conferences this year and looking at talent, the ACC is not exactly a, a conference that you know you can brag about. And I think I had this discussion with Jermaine Johnson when I was when he was at the combine last year. You know, I asked him what the difference was between playing at Georgia and Florida State. He said, it's the depth, man. It's the depth. You know, you go to Georgia where you're 3-4 deep all across every position. And you go to the ACC yeah. and there's nobody behind you, you know. So, uh, he went from being, you know, what, second or third line, I guess you could call it, at Georgia, to being a, a star in the ACC at Florida State. Yeah. But in this case with Walker... Uh, he did not see success as a defensive lineman uh, or a defensive end in the NFL. Four years at Denver, Matt came up with 10 and a half sacks, um, and it only started five games, goes to Houston for a year in 2021. Uh, not productive there either. Two sacks. He actually had his most productive year last year with the Tennessee Titans, and guess what they did? They moved him inside.
0: Yeah, sounds right. See, Sounds right. seven
1: sacks, seven sacks last year, uh, career high at quarterback hits at 16, 10 tackles for loss as well. So this might DeMarcus Walker might be a guy we come back to when we start talking about three techs and the different like, you know, the tweener type types in the mm-hmm. in Solomon Thomas, come is back another one. Yep. There's going to be a bunch yeah. of them that we're going to be able to talk about. So, yeah, he busted as a defensive end, but he's actually starting in Chicago right now too. At that, at, as a defensive tackle, it's a three tech. Yeah. So Tennessee, Mike Vrabel, who is, I think he's top five coach. He might be even top three in the NFL right now. Uh, found a Very way to, found a way to get this guy and make him yeah. productive in the NFL. Nobody else had figured that out yet. So, but no, I think that, yeah, what you're talking about with the tweener thing. I remember this was one of the first things that I learned um, when I was at the Music City Bowl. I had an older scout ask me. Um, this is twenty nineteen. We were who the most impressive player I saw on the field was, and I talked about Chauncey Rivers, and out of Mississippi State. Mississippi State's playing Louisville. Um, Chauncey Rivers was a fierce player coming off the edge, sort of a stand up mix between you know that hybrid outside guy, and he just straight up told me, "Look, Chauncey, really impressive in college, but he's a tweener. He's gonna he's gonna have trouble sticking in the NFL, and that's exactly what happened with him." not quite the same exact type of player, but that's the example that you have as a tweener where if you're in that space where you're like not quite big enough to play on the inside and beat a guard and be stronger than a guard. And then you're not quite quick enough to be on the outside and get around a tackle. That's a really hard space to find a living in the NFL. Uh, And that's kind of what, that's what we talk about when we say a tweener because they're in between two positions and don't quite fit into either one. So, uh, you know, Demarcus Walker, I think, is a perfect example, at least in the in the first five years of his career, as a, of a guy yeah. that was just a tweener that couldn't find a way to stick.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, but you know, it's good that he's carving out a role. And I think, uh, I think NFL teams will probably, especially after him and now Solomon Thomas and a few of these other guys, you got to get smarter about projecting some of these guys because if they don't have a true spot, it's hard to take them high because then you're stuck for a few years, like. Let's let him feel at his best spot, but you don't have that. There's no time for that. You got to put a guy where he's best. And if he's not really best anywhere, then what are you doing? You know what
1: I mean? Yeah. And Um, you've got, you've only really got a year or two to figure that out at this point, you know, with. Yeah. Yeah. With the way that this league rolls right now, if you can't figure that out in a couple, like the walkers, one of these rare, rare examples of a guy that five, six years of his career that somebody figured it out. But. Right. Most of the time you've got a year, maybe two or three at tops to get it figured out and if you can't, you're out of the league. So and you're playing the XFL like our friend uh, Robert Candci. So uh... <laughs> we will
0: talk about in <laughs> a later episode.
1: So you also wanted I thought this is a cool little twist that you wanted to get into, which was talk about guys that were picked late and ended up blossoming. And you got two guys that you identified here Trey flowers to start was a guy that was picked later in the draft. What was the issue with Trey? Why did he go later?
0: Uh, Trey Flowers went to Arkansas. He ended up being picked in the fourth round. Um, He slid. I believe he was pretty productive in college. I don't remember off the top of my head what his stats were. But he slid because, uh, you know, simply not necessarily the best athlete. He wasn't a super bursty guy. He didn't get off the ball super well. He wasn't going to bend the edge. When you looked at his trump cards in college and said, how is he going to beat NFL tackles? It was hard to pick one thing that said, like, this will translate. This will be what does it for him. But he was an effort player all the way. I mean, the dude's motor ran so hot. He had heavy, heavy hands. Um. You know, that was kind of about it. He did. It wasn't a super lengthy guy, but it was like the effort was there. The hand technique was there. The hand strength and power was there. And sure enough, he goes to the Patriots and they kind of let him be what he is. And he turned into this dude that's carved out a pretty productive career in the NFL. Won two Super Bowls with the Patriots. But again, he slid all the way to the fourth round, probably justifiably, you know, because again, you, you've got to bet on traits. And when a guy doesn't have them, you're going to slide. But he was really cool because I liked him in college and I you know, wanted to see him be taken higher. And as we always do, you, you get those crushes in the draft and you're like, he's going to yep. go day two or he's going to go second round. And then he doesn't. And it's not really a bad thing because it's, you know, it's like an auction. these You don't take a guy before you have to. And he slid, but he's carved out a really good career just being this power rusher and learning how to use leverage super well. And um, I think he, he did improve in the NFL, his burst. Started, he really found a way to work on getting off the ball, and when you don't have to get off the ball and even pretend to threaten upfield, you know, the upfield shoulder and run the arc, you can kind of get off the ball and just become a linear rusher, and that's what he really perfected is he would just, as soon as the snap, you know, as soon as the ball was snapped, he would go right at the chest of the the tackle, and he could either forklift the arms up or just go straight through them, and, um, you know, he kind of had, like, two moves his whole career, and it started to worked out for him.
1: Yeah, and the other thing to point out here, too, is, When we talk about production, he was more productive in the run game than he was anywhere else in college. I mean, three his sophomore, junior, and senior years, 13 tackles for loss, 13 and a half tackles for loss, 15 and a half tackles for loss. So he was a guy that made a living in the backfield at Arkansas. It was his pass rushing that was a little bit – yeah, his pass rushing was what was a little bit more – questionable right because he was six five and six sacks over those three years he ended up with 18 over his college career obviously he's eclipsed that in the nfl um i'm pulling up his nfl stats because i'm bear with me because pro football reference sometimes uh bouncing between pro football reference and college football reference you know the two are two different websites but they're like the same yeah Yeah, so sometimes it takes you a little while to get between the two uh especially when you're starting on the college side where is he here Trey Flowers. Did he not really play his rookie year? No, I'm just, I guess not. I'm trying to remember. I don't think so. I don't think he was a big time guy's rookie year. I do know. i have to come into it this way. Okay. Let's see if I can find it. Fourth round, 101st overall. Um yeah, here we go. I got you. Yeah, I played one game his rookie year, started eight his next year, and then became a full pretty much a full time starter. Over the next couple of years yeah. in New England goes to Detroit for three years is a seven sack a year type player, but a guy that gets in the backfield makes a lot of tackles for loss as well. 37 tackles for loss over his career guy that likes to hit the quarterback. I think injuries have limited him here recently played four games for Miami last year and is currently back on the New England Patriots physically unable to perform. But yeah, he carved out a career. You know, he's almost he been in the in the league for almost a decade now. And The average NFL career is four years, right? So when you can play over that, that means that you've found a role. You've carved something out. You made it work. He's doubled that. Uh, This is his ninth season. So that's awesome for him. Good for you, Trey. Good for you, buddy. (laughs) The other guy you liked was Um, Dorrance Armstrong. And that's a guy that's come on here recently. Yep. A guy's come on recently with the um, Dallas Cowboys.
0: Yeah. Uh, He went to Kansas, I forget what year he was drafted, but dude is long, um, long, smooth athlete, really fluid, uh, tons of burst. His, I believe it was his junior year at Kansas, the sophomore, junior year, um, he was a pass rusher and he looked so good. I mean, they let him play, they let him go and get the quarterback and you could see how, you could see the ceiling, you could see like the projectable ceiling on him. And he looked a lot, honestly, like DeMarcus Lawrence when DeMarcus Lawrence was at Boise State, another Cowboy. And you could just see like these raw athletes that are so explosive and so fluid in their movements. Um, And then his senior year, I believe, they switched to a different front and they made him exclusively a run stopper, Dorns Armstrong. And I remember he played head up and every down was, you know, snap the ball, engage with the offensive lineman, find the ball, and if it was a pass, then go get the quarterback. But that doesn't really benefit a guy who – is best using his speed and athleticism. So you know he fell all the way to the fourth round, especially going to Kansas. It wasn't ideal for him. Um, but now you know in the NFL he's carving out a real good career and he's been a starter. He's been a big time player on the Cowboys. So uh, I think he had a sack even Monday night or was it Monday night, Sunday yeah, two. night, Sunday night, two, two. Sunday okay. night. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The man is the man is good. Uh, he's finally becoming. I mean, it's taken a while. But he's finally becoming that guy that we saw at Kansas where, you know, the athleticism and the length and the fluidity is all there on tape. And, you know, he's balling.
1: So two and a half sacks his first three years. He's followed that up with over the next two years, he had 13 and yeah. a half and then two, two on Sunday night. So, yeah, obviously. How much do you think too? And this is not a, a dig on Dorrance. It's not a, anything like that. But how much, too, do you think that is? The Cowboys have so many great pass rushers right now yeah. that when you have that many guys on the field that can go after and get the quarterback, I mean, you got to worry about Micah Parsons. You got to worry about Demarcus Lawrence. You got all these guys across the board that you're worried about. Maybe that allows you to get opportunities that you don't normally have if you're in another system.
0: Well, yeah, probably first off, it keeps you fresh second there's no pressure to be the guy right like you're not going out there expected to make plays because there's playmakers everywhere so I think it kind of gives you know them that internal freedom in their own minds like I'm just out here to have fun and you know someone else will clean up the mess if I don't but it's got to be it's got to be different than playing on a team with no depth thinking like if I don't make a play no one will so I mean it's good because Dorrance has really started to flourish and I think the I mean it was like two years ago I started to realize watching him with dallas like i think they're going to keep him on the roster i think he's found his spot and you know here we are this season and already he's making a name for himself so uh, to see a fourth rounder look like a guy that you would probably think went first or second round that's pretty cool because those traits are finally starting to show and again that's why we preach bet on those traits draft guys that are athletes because in time if you can afford to not get rid of them earlier in time they'll probably become something
1: that's not it's it he's not just a pass rusher either. I mean, this guy had two sacks and three tackles for loss last night. And if you remember most of the time tackles for loss are also included in your college stats as you know, sacks are included as a part of that in the NFL, they're separate. Okay. So when you've got three, he's had made five plays against the giants on Sunday night football behind the line of scrimmage in in that game. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That's absolutely insane. You know, that's, that is a, you yeah. were living in the back, and he had two extra quarterback hits as well because uh, those don't count as sacks either. Those are separate. That's just you got to the quarterback and knocked him to the ground. Uh, yeah, so, so the man
0: had a baller game, basically.
1: Pretty much the best game most likely of his entire career, and he just happened to yeah. do it on national television on the first game of the year uh, of his sixth season in the NFL. He was drafted uh, 116th overall by the Cowboys in the 2018 NFL draft. So I think it, it, the, it, those are it, some good examples of guys. I think what you're the prototype guy that you're looking for, if he's not an elite pass rusher, like the guys we mentioned, you really just need guys that understand, have the mental acuity that understand what it takes to win at the defensive end position and are patient. Right. And, and they're okay with losing a few reps here. They're, lo- they're okay with losing a few to set something up. I think that's really what separates a lot of these guys. And the more moves, the more that you have in your arsenal, the more valuable you are as a pass rusher. And that's what pushes you up boards. My opinion. That's what I took take, taken away from what we looked at.
0: I agree. I agree. But
1: now we did have a few questions. I'm glad that you did this because I don't. I'm terrible at doing this kind of thing. So I was glad that you did it. Um, we're going to start with David Saba's question. Break down what made Reggie White the greatest, and discuss why he's different. What separates him from the edge rushers of today? Uh, David has a really, really good question to start yeah. this thing off. Reggie White, <laughs> the deacon, isn't that what they? Isn't that what we called him? The the, the minister of the defense? I
0: believe so. Yeah.
1: Wow. I mean, <laughs> he was special, man. You watched the, you watched those highlight tape. When was like when last time you watched a Reggie White highlight tape?
0: uh i kind of watch football crap all the time so honestly it hasn't been that long which sounds kind of weird but it hasn't been that long i think
1: i i think i go out of my way to pull him up his highlights at least once a month (laughs) at least
0: okay i watch preferably preferably
1: in an eagles uniform
0: yeah those were his those were his prime prime years yes those were the years when he could do anything he wanted no matter what um yeah david has a great question and i think the funny thing is he kind of like answered his own question in some of his replies. And uh, so Reggie White, for people that don't know, he was 6'5", 290, 300, and he ran 4.61. That is not real. That's better than – I mean, that's a lead athlete in today's NFL. And you have to think when he was going on, when he was in his prime, he was against guys in the 80s who were not – what they are today in offensive linemen these guys didn't have modern medicine and modern workout plans and nutritionists they probably weren't as strong and athletic and they're just these were athletes from you know 40 years ago so like any sport they're not as good but he was as good he would be elite like we said in today's nfl so he's just manhandling 300 pounders like they're nothing
1: well if you also think back then your average tackle wasn't three hundred pounds; it was two eighty. No, so yeah.
0: so he's tackles
1: were smaller. He's bigger than the tackle, and he's not just bigger; he's faster.
0: Yeah, and I mean, how how the funny thing for me is like, how did an NFL team say, "Let's put you at edge"? Whoever did that, I think is. The real genius, because I don't, you know, I don't know much about what was going on back then in the '80s. I'm only 33, but to see a guy that big and say, you know, 300 pounders, you should play in the interior. But they said, let's stand you up and play on the outside and see what you can do as an edge rusher. That's freaking crazy. And I mean, his highlights are out of this world. And I, I asked David on Twitter too. I asked if he would put JJ Watt. In the conversation of you know these greatest defensive linemen overall and he made a good point jj watt ran four nine something not four six one so imagine jj watt but quite a bit faster that's what you had in in (laughs) reggie white and that's probably you know that's what makes him so special is not only did he do it but he did it in an era where guys just couldn't compete with what he was you
1: know and not even just that i mean like he his upper body strength was something that he was even able to dominate with so when you have that blend of speed and power coming off the outside i mean you're throwing dudes around there's there's tapes of him even at like green bay where he's just coming in there with a full speed rush he just stiff arms and throws the tackle on his back i mean like yeah where he he was a freak of nature at a time when you know offensive linemen going the, the offensive linemen in that time frame that are in the uh hall of fame if you think about those tackles it's like anthony munoz and bruce mathis mathis and and matthews and you know people like that they were six five three ten three fifteen and they were huge they were bigger than tackles you know the, the most tackles in the nfl and when yeah we just everybody made a huge we deal with miles won. garrett at 270 pounds ran a four what five two was it a four five two or four five six that he ran at the combine yeah someone yeah he was it like was four, something five, crazy yeah. Yeah, so you've got a guy that runs basically that speed, but thirty pounds heavier than Miles Garrett. That's mind-boggling to just even try to comprehend.
0: He could win with with power and leverage any single rep he wanted, and it was like no one could really challenge. Like it was, you had to get the ball out immediately, or else you know this dude is is on you. I don't, I don't think. Well, I don't think we'll ever see anything like that because I don't know how we would. (laughs) Like I said, Miles Garrett is probably the freakiest athlete we have in the NFL right now, and he's not like Reggie White. He just isn't.
1: Mm-hmm. Reggie wrong, White was but... different. He was built different. Yeah, you know, I think the the closest you could say in a play style to him is probably Aaron Donald, who is a good bit smaller. Um, yeah. And what I mean by play style is, you know, Reggie didn't just wasn't just you know speed and power too. It was, you know, he had an arsenal. He had a lot of different things that he could push. He could bring at you. And, you know, that's, that's kind yeah, of Aaron, yeah. Aaron Donald-esque. That's kind of Aaron Donald-esque. You know, where Aaron is a guy that can line up anywhere on the field and do pretty much anything he wants because his arsenal's so deep. And he's going to win the hand-fighting battle. You see Reggie win hand-fighting battles, too, on his highlight tapes. Still to this day. Yeah. I mean, yeah, just a, arguably probably the most dominant ever uh to play this position
0: yeah i agree yeah um now we have another question ruckus yeah ruckus
1: uh justin walters this is a really good question i know you want to answer this one so i'm gonna let you start where's the cutoff line for separating guys who win with tools versus guys who win with technique
0: so what he's asking is where how do you separate the guys who like let's bring up some examples um when we Barnett. talk tools,
1: yeah. Tools is more of a the guys that we talked about. You know the Bosa brothers, Nick Bosa in particular, Miles Garrett. Those are tools. Guys who guys. Are the
0: elite, yeah, elite tools, elite athletes um, versus guys that win with more technique, like Derek Barnett at Tennessee, uh, Marcus Golden when he was at Missouri. Uh, I remember Nate Orchard. Um, he got drafted by the Browns. I forget where he played in college, but so, so productive. And these guys won with know-how. They won with nuance to their game. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't say they had translatable NFL level traits. Derek Barnett was taken in the first round, probably shouldn't have been, but I think that's the point is so how do you separate these guys that shouldn't go in the first round versus guys who are super raw and maybe not that productive that you know we keep talking about taking very high? For me, I think there's a you got to look at the size, the 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 length, the ways that they could win. Again, like Trey Flowers, um, heavy hands, leverage rusher, versus Derek Barnett was a speed rusher. I mean, he really won by going around. He he won with the little bit of burst he had, and he could kind of he was a bender. He could flatten a little bit, but you have to translate. You have to kind of project the ways that they win. And see who is like Marcus Golden for me, total ass kicker, dude that was hair on fire, hundred um, percent all game. Aiden Hutchinson, I know we you know we disagreed with him a little bit. Another guy who is just absolutely hair on fire, effort will never never stop. So maybe he's not the elite athlete a lot of the other guys are, but you know he's going to be a problem just because he'll never stop coming. Um, I think a lot of these guys are taken where they're supposed to be, and it's not day one. I just don't think you can do it. Because again, if they, if the nuance they do have in their game and the little bit of rep- the little bit of th- the arsenal they have doesn't translate at all, well, now you have a guy who is not a good enough athlete to overcome what he did win with. Where the mm-hmm. traits guys, you can say, all right, well, you know, we're gonna teach. You know, Brian Burns was one of those guys coming out of Florida State, where absolute freak. You know, bouncy athlete. He had he was so springy out of his stance. He had elite length. He'd elite Ben, but he was undersized and he kind of didn't have a repertoire. He didn't really know what he was doing yet. And he's turned into an absolute monster in Carolina. And they bet on those traits. So I, you know, for me, I think it's a little more black and white. I don't think I think there's a very easy dividing line. And the undersized guys or the guys who do not have elite traits, they're not round one for me. They're just simply not. Um, and I don't know how you feel about that because I know we, we've disagreed on a lot of edge rushers before. Um, but, you know, I've been wrong a lot. So I'm not the guy to say, you know, it's this way or no way.
1: Well, that's the thing. We, we, we're we all wrong a lot in this because it's a projection. We're, we don't know, you know, and that's I think the the scene in Moneyball where you've got Brad Pitt talking to the head scout, talking about how many times you sat there with the parents and the kid going, when I know, I know. And you've been wrong. You know that's just part of it you know and, and that's the thing is yeah uh, that's why these types of conversations are great to have because there's you know different things that we can all take away from it but uh for me I think I think it's it you this is probably the spot where you you can use a little bit of analytics right where you're looking at win rates when you're looking at okay not not am I not only am I just looking at the win rate but how did he win the rep you know, and you talked about effort guys and Aiden Hutchinson's a perfect example of a effort guy where, you know, we saw him the other night, Thursday night against the Chiefs. He gets beat, He spins out, he tries to spin inside. Mahomes goes outside. He's spinning back outside. Like he's just, you know, he doesn't have, let's say a huge arsenal of different moves that he can make, but he uses the moves that he has really well and his effort helps him make up for any of that. Um, and that's what made, that's what makes him a very good player in the league and, I think potentially in the future, a great player. Um, when you, you know, you start to get to these other guys, you know, that the Brian Burns types, um, you know, where they were, you're a little bit worried about the size, but they've got the good technique. I think size is one thing. If they're a little undersized in the sense of maybe their weight, maybe they need to put on 15 pounds. I wouldn't worry about it too much. Guys are pretty good at doing that now with the nutrition plans and all of that. Um, so to me, I think the cutoff line's a little bit closer than what you're kind of saying. Like, obviously, you have your elite edge rushers, and those guys are great, you know. And, and there's, we can sit here and praise them and rant and rave about how great they are at it all day. But you also there's also a, a great role for guys that are more technique, and that can win using that technique and and having winning those leverage battles, having the bend to work around, uh, that are really good with their hands. And uh, I think that if you are, if your win rate is close enough, you know, to let's say one of these natural elite edge rushers, I think that that's, that's an acceptable first round, you know, grade that I can give out. And I think Isaiah Foskey this year was a guy that I gave a first round grade to didn't go first round, went earlier, mid second. Um, But a guy that I thought his technique was really good, the way that he used his hands, the way that he set up. You know, pass rushers. He was really productive at Notre Dame as well, and that's a that's a guy that I would look at and say I'm okay with I'm okay with him going first round, and I would probably take him first round if I need an edge rusher because he wins enough and he has that technique down. He's not going to plateau that much that much higher as an athlete, but he's got the traits and everything that are good enough to make that cut. So, uh, to me, I think it's a lot closer than what you're kind of describing.
0: Yeah, I. You're probably right. I think a big thing for me is trump cards. I look at like how – what does this guy have that will allow him to continue to win in the NFL? Mm -hmm. And, you know, what type of good wins does he have? Because a lot of guys rack up sacks in college, and then you watch them, and you're like, that would never, ever, ever work in the NFL. You know, he didn't do anything. He didn't have to be an athlete there. He didn't have to – Really show burst or closing speed or Your leverage. Quarterback or moved fight. right into them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, yeah, there, there was just, there's so many reps in college where you see guys get sacks and you're like, that's just, you know, that, that's not going to happen ever again in the NFL. So it's a lot about the trump cards that they have and the way that if you think, can they sustain this type of production? Can they sustain this success with the trump cards they have or lack thereof? Yeah, um, that's a and fair that's point. But me... how
1: many guys have trump cards? You know, that's that's kind of the the thing we're talking about. A handful of guys that maybe you can count on both your hands, you know, and that's it that are in the league that have these trump yeah. cards. So you can't give up and say that you know, hey, I can't do anything with this athlete because you know he doesn't have a trump card. Right. I think that the technique is something that is a trump card, in a sense. If you are good, clean enough with your technique, and you have enough variety. It makes up for your lack of athleticism or your lack of just being able to bully or be faster than an offensive tackle in the NFL. I think that, you know, that's what it's a lot harder for a tackle to prepare for a guy that has a big arsenal and can do a lot of different things with his technique than it is for a guy to prepare for a pure speed rusher or pure bull rusher. Or even a combination of both. Because in that case, you just know that you're preparing for a guy that's going to out-athlete you or out-physical you. And that's what you're prepping for all week. Whereas when you got a guy that's got technique and he can do whatever he wants from that aspect, that's a lot harder to prepare for as a tackle. Because now you, you're playing mental games, too. It goes back to the chess game. If you're playing yeah. chess with this you don't want to be playing chess with them. You don't want to be playing checkers. You want to keep it simple. You know, hey, don't get behind me. Don't beat me. That's, that's the name. And when they start playing chess with you, that's when you know you're in trouble.
0: Yeah. I think that, that kind of segues us into a question we have real quick from uh, Jordan Silvera on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Bears fan. Nice guy. Love this kid. Um, he's a good buddy of mine. We go back and forth all the time. And we DM each other about you know rankings of the draft prospects and cool stuff like that. And uh, he asked why is Jared verse the new Everson Griffin and will J- Jared verse be drafted where Everson should have been drafted so many years ago? And then in uh, parentheses, instead of sliding for no good reason, um, Jared verse is... with some fire, yeah, dude, he always comes in hot. Man. He, Jared verse Jared goes to Florida State, he transferred from Albany, what, tiny Albany, okay, Albany, anyone? okay, mm-hmm. tiny, yeah, so he comes in and uh, um, he's kind of lit the college football landscape on fire man because last year he was phenomenal this year already you can see like this dude is wild the the bursts that he he's listed i think at six three or six four 260 but the burst this guy has out of his stance i might be wrong yeah i'm pulling it up i got it okay burst closing speed um some of the heaviest hands i've ever seen from a college football prospect at edge and i wouldn't call him overly fluid or a guy that you expect to, you know, get up the arc and bend and flatten to get to the quarterback. That's probably not his game. He does win a lot like Everson Griffin did in Minnesota or, you know, still does. He's actually a free agent right now, but, um, there's just a lot to this kid's game to like. And despite him not being an overly bendy fluid rusher, he wins a lot of ways. And this is one of those guys that you say, there's a lot of Trump cards that come with this kid. I mean, he can, Win with the bull rush. He can win with hand strength and hand power and hand fighting. He has a lot of nuance to his game. Um, and the way he gets off the ball immediately threatens you upfield. So tackles have a lot to worry about there. I think Jared Verse absolutely will be drafted, probably top 10, top 15. Everson Griffin, I remember, fell because he came in at, at 275 at the combine. And he had effort problems at uh, South where would he go? USC, Southern California. He had a he his motor ran a little hot and cold. He was a little raw. He didn't have a, nearly enough um, of a pass rush repertoire like Jared Verse does, um, if I remember correctly, just off the top of my head because mm. I remember watching Everson. But you know, Jared Verse is probably not an elite elite rusher. I wouldn't put him in the category of you know like the Bosa's, Garrett, some of these other boys, but. If you take him top 15, you're still getting a guy that I think is going to live up to that billing um, just because he's, yeah. he's almost like a supercharged Trey Flowers. Like the way he wins is like a lot like that. Just the, the pure hand strength he has is outrageous. Um, he makes
1: college tackles look silly so often. So um, he's – yeah, you were correct. 6'3", 248 is where he's listed right now. That's what I got him at. Oh, okay. Um 250. So, so the, the one thing that does kind of make him a little bit of a difference is he is a little bit on the smaller side in terms of edge rushers, but he has insane athletic ability. And the reason that he caught Florida State's attention was they were watching Tate prepping for the Syracuse game that they had. I think it was earlier in the year, and they were looking at what Syracuse did against Albany that year, and this is 2021. Jared Verse was able to chase down Sean Tucker, a running back, in the open field. And and so um he didn't make the tackle, he caught up to him just as he got to the end zone, but it was a 50 yard run that Verse caught up to him. And if there was a if there was there's another 10 yards, he wouldn't make the tackle. So that's how they found this guy. That's how everybody else found him. So when he entered the transfer portal, there were a lot of schools that were trying to jump on him. They offered him he had twenty something offers coming out of the transfer portal, and they were all power five schools. Um yeah. he is an absolute game wrecker. Um uh, the thing that that stands out to me about him is his athletic ability, and he does. I think he's a little bit more bendy than you're giving him. you're than you're giving him. I thought that he has been his way of getting underneath and wrapping around that defender. Use I mean the tackle using his athleticism is something else. Um, I think I could be wrong. I think he's going to go top ten when you look at this class. I wouldn't. I wouldn't when doubt you, it.
0: Yeah, wouldn't doubt it.
1: I think. I think he goes top ten. So yeah, I think for Jordan's sake, he's going to go where Everson should have been drafted, uh, instead of sliding. Now that's assuming that everything tests out. I think he's he had some injury issues last year, didn't start as long. So um, that's all. I, I think that's what I've got.
0: Yeah, no, he's a he's a great edge rusher, and I don't think this is the most top heavy edge rush class. So I think he's really got a real shot possibly to put himself into the top five i don't know how he'll test i really don't i think he's a well above average athlete but i think to go top top you kind of have to test elite i don't know if he has that in him but we'll see because his tape already i mean against lsu he was making that left tackle look silly for a while um and that's a good you know that's a great team that's a high level bunch of athletes over there in louisiana so um he's putting together a good resume on tape and you know. The rest will come later, but uh, yeah, I think you're getting a real Everson Griffin, Ryan Kerrigan type of type of rusher with Jared. Which is absolutely,
1: great. I think that's going to wrap up our show, man. <laughs> so thank you yeah. for uh, listening. Be sure that you check out all the different. Um, make sure that you check out all the different places you can listen to us to on which is on YouTube. Make sure that you follow us on Twitter, uh, Megaphone as well. You can listen to us there. Follow Justin on Twitter at Gamscout. Scout. GAM Scout. Follow me on Twitter at Draft Vogel. Follow the show at Sick Pod NFL Draft. Until next week, Justin. I think we got. I think we got three texts next week, so it's going to be. Or no, I guess stand up, stand up guys next week. We'll do some stand up so,
0: rushers? Yeah, keep it on edge, but yeah, do some different get guys, into so. the TJ
1: Watts and those types. So get ready. Uh, thank you again, Shane. As always, in the background, doing a great job. That's been. That's the Sick Podcast. Draft Vogel. <laughs>
0: And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast with Draft Vogel on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts.